Welcome to today's episode of the Do They Own Me podcast, where we kick and scream and make a fuss about the fist of invasion that is attached to the end of the arm of government overreach. And only sometimes it's not just government overreach that invades our privacy, sometimes it's government inaction. Sometimes, and I hate to say this, we do need regulation in areas that we don't have regulation. I'm your host, Benny McBenface. Today's episode, we have a perfectly good example, a very strong, a very potent, a very meaningful story that really illustrates what can happen here when nobody's watching, when nobody's paying attention. There's an article published on the website of the uh, European Centre for Digital Rights, I think is what they're called. Uh, It's noyb.eu. They've styled the name to be None of Your Business is what it stands for. And God bless these guys. They really do the Lord's work when it comes to this type of thing of, you know, trying to Uh, at least police or control or attack or, you know, kick the can down the road and make noise in the same way that I do about these types of things. Now, listen, here's what it says. The article reads, TeleSigns secretly profiles half of the world's mobile phone users. So right away, we're looking at that and we're saying, okay, A, it's not surprising, but B, holy shit, half of the world's mobile phone users. The scale of this is massive. So it reads, today, and this is dated uh, June 2023, today, NOYB filed a complaint against TeleSign, a U.S. company which profiled millions of phone users. TeleSign generates a, quote, reputation score and sells its services to various clients like TikTok, Microsoft, or Salesforce. TeleSign secretly received the mobile phone data from BICS, BIX, a Belgian company that provides interconnection services for many mobile phone companies. Right. So, you know, right away at the outset, I can kind of see what's going on here. You need a reputation score for a mobile phone number. Uh, there, there are legitimate use cases for this. So whenever you're doing anything online, you need to create an account. So you need your email address, you create a password. But sometime over the last three to six years, it became increasingly more common for all of these platforms to start asking you for not just your email address and to create a password, but they wanted a phone number to verify. They'll send you the code, you get the code, you put that back in, and boom. Now, I can see from their side, from the side, like if you're TikTok, if you're Microsoft, if you're Salesforce, I can really see why you would want to add this extra layer and this extra level of verification. First of all, for identity verification, not that it necessarily, uh, you know, strictly identifies someone, but let's say you've got a platform where you definitely don't want one person creating mass amounts of accounts. TikTok's a perfectly good example. If I'm a Russian bot farm or a Russian troll farm, what I desperately want is to have millions of TikTok accounts. And if I could just automatically create them, you know, code up a little app that uh, makes a TikTok account every second and just does that, you know, forevermore, that's brilliant. Those are my problems solved. But if you're the platform in that example, TikTok, what you really want is that not to happen. So by adding the requirement to have a customer or user enter their phone number for the code, it it puts in an extra layer which for a genuine user is simple. You know, put your phone number and get the code. Boom. It doesn't really create much of an obstacle. But for a malicious user or someone that would seek to abuse the platform, it does put in place a roadblock and it substantially cuts down because how many accounts are they going to activate with the same phone number? That's a pretty easy thing to block if you're the platform. You can say, right, one phone number can have one account or one phone number can activate five accounts, whatever. So I can see why there's a genuine need for this. 
Uh, but I suspect it goes off the rails very, very quickly because of a lack of oversight. Nobody knows what's going on. And look, this idea that there's a reputation score attached to your phone number, um, how is this not the Chinese social credit system here without people even knowing about it? So anyway, let's continue. Bix, B-I-C-S, the company connecting phone providers globally. Bix is a world-leading communication service that allows phone calls, roaming, and data flows between different communications networks and services in different corners of the world. Uh, Instead of having direct agreements with each other, hundreds of mobile phone providers can connect their networks via Bix interconnection service. I see. So when you're calling a phone number in, you know, Romania or whatever, how does that call get routed? So what Bix appears to do here is they're the, as they say here in the article, they're the interconnection layer. So my telco sends that call to maybe Bix, and then Bix has some rules-based routing system where they say, use this telco, use this telco, this telco, and then presumably Bix handles the billing or whatever transfer of credits or money or funds or whatever between the telcos. Okay. So I get that. The article continues. When processing phone customer data, Bix gets detailed information, and in brackets, the regularity of completed calls. Okay, I get that. That is a strong indicator of the type of use that that phone user is uh, engaging in, right? If they're calling the same three numbers for half an hour a day every day, probably a real user. Um, I'm not saying there's any one pattern that declares a user to be a real user, but I am saying that if it's a phone number that was once activated and then never used, it's never made or received a call, but it's received a bunch of SMS messages, you can see where this goes. This is why these you know, reputation score services do have a role to play. So I get that. Anyway, we'll continue. So it says, Bix gets detailed information, the regularity of completed calls, call duration, uh, long-term inactivity, range activity, I don't know what that means, range, uh, or successful incoming traffic, about half of the world's worldwide mobile phone users. Holy moly, so Bix is collecting on half of the phone numbers in the world that set of data. So they're collecting how often you complete a phone call, how long you're on a phone call, long-term inactivity. So, you know, did you act, exactly what I said a moment ago, did you activate that SIM card and, uh, you know, let that, Uh, phone just sit in a drawer somewhere for the sole purpose of getting these uh, activation text messages. So that's long-term inactivity, range activity, or successful incoming traffic. So that is, are you actively using that phone number on a day-to-day basis in your life as you go about your business? And Bix is collecting this on half of the worldwide mobile phone users. That is a phenomenal data set. That is an incredible data set. And you can see right there where the massive concerns are. But nonetheless, the article continues, TeleSign generates reputation scores from Bix data. In March 2022, the Belgian newspaper Le Soir first revealed that the U.S. company TeleSign was getting this data from Bix and was profiling millions of phone users across the globe. TeleSign gave every mobile phone user a trust score between zero and 300 points. Based on this score, TeleSign's clients, TikTok, Salesforce, Microsoft, could then decide to allow users to sign up to a platform or, for example, require an SMS verification first. Okay, so that's interesting because I've seen that happen when I've signed up for an account. 
it does ask you for a mobile phone number, and you don't always get the text message, do you? Sometimes it takes the number. So, you know, email address, credit password, put your number in. Sometimes it takes that but doesn't do anything else with it. So I see now here this might be what's going on. It's going off to uh, TallySign and saying, hey, what do you know about this phone number? And it's replying back and saying, well, it's a very high score. They're a genuine user. No problems here. Um, so that just allows the platform to you know, authenticate and create that account without any difficulty. Right. So that's uh, that makes sense. I've seen that happen in the wild. Uh, the article continues, TeleSign verifies over 5 billion unique phone numbers per month, representing half of the world's mobile users. And there's a quote here attributed to Max Schrems. Your phone provider, quote, your phone provider likely forwards data to Bix, who then forwards it to TeleSign. TeleSign generates a trust score about you and sells phone data to third parties like Microsoft, Salesforce, and TikTok without anyone being informed or giving consent. And this is, as always, where it starts to become problematic. I can remember a time not that long ago where my phone was for my convenience. It wasn't for anyone else to serve their purposes and for their benefits. It was my phone. I used it the way that I wanted to when I wanted uh, to use it. It wasn't snitching on me, spying on me, bleeding my location out to everyone, tracking all of my activities, and maybe opening microphones and cameras, though I've never seen any actual evidence of that, but I'm sure it happens. Right, I can remember a time not that long ago where this my phone was my phone and it served me and it served no one else. But this is the problem, as as uh, old Max Schrems says there in that quote. He says, without anyone being informed or giving consent. At no point in time has uh, let me say this: I certainly haven't received a phone call or a message saying, "Hey, would you mind if we just grabbed this data?" used it to assign a score and then give that to companies as you're signing up with them. I would have said no. No, you may not. And I suspect the vast majority of people would have also said no. No, you may not. So they didn't ask. But why didn't they ask? As I said at the top of the episode, government inaction, a lack of regulation. Now, again, I, I, it surprises me as much as anyone else that I would be saying we need more government regulation. Usually I would say, get out of here, get out of here, let's just get on with it, forget the government. But in this case, I don't know how you stop this. This, this to me, is another egregious uh, offence against privacy and a person's right to just exist and get on with their life without having that massive fist coming at them. I don't like it. Anyway, the article continues, user copy shows extent of telesign surveillance. Curious to know what was done with their data, several mobile users used their rights under the GDPR. See, this is good. This is what I love about Europe. Europe, for all of its flaws, and it has many, but for, for Europe does actually have a very, very strong set of rules around privacy. It's not just GDPR. There's a whole bunch of other stuff, just, you know, day-to-day -day information policies in the offline world. Who can use your data, what they can do with it, what they can't do with it. But importantly, none of those rules mean a damn thing unless there's penalties attached to them. And Europe does attach penalties to them. So this is good. And if it weren't for Europe... I'm sure, you know, the lid would never have been blown off this scheme because God knows the United States and Canada and, and Australia and the United Kingdom certainly don't have these types of rules. They go the opposite way. They say to these companies, they, they, they don't say to them, you can't do this. They say to them, ooh, that's interesting. You're doing this. Can you share that data with us, please? That's what all these other countries do. But European Union, God bless them. GDPR. So I'll continue. 
Several mobile users used their right under GDPR to get a copy of their data from Telesign, Bix, and their national mobile provider. The answers were quite surprising. None of the mobile operators listed Telesign as a recipient or knew that user data was sent to Telesign. And this is another theme that I'm always talking about. It's not just who you're giving your data to. It's who they're then giving it to, and then the, the, the third layer on top of that, who they're then giving it to. I've always said that the minute something leaves the confines of your privacy, whether it's in your home or in your car or in your office, the minute something leaves those confines where, electronically or by post, you send a letter in the mail or you hold a sign outside the front of your house, however that information is leaving the confines of your privacy, and obviously most of it's digital most of the time, it's gone. You have to assume that literally anyone that wants to pay for that information can and will get access to that information. But again, at the core of this problem here is nobody knew this was going on. I mean, I suppose you could have, if you approached it from the incentives-based question that I assessed these things from, you know, what are the incentives for these service providers? You could quite clearly see that, A, they're not incentivized to do the right thing because in countries like the United States and all of the Western countries that I just mentioned earlier, uh, there's no reason for them to not share data. Uh, so their incentives say, look, number one, we've got no reason to keep this data private. Number two, our incentives are to make profit. So if we have the opportunity to make profit from this data, that is exactly what we're going to do. And it might not be direct profit in terms of cash flow that shows up in the quarterly reports for that quarter. However, it might be profit that shows up somewhere else. Maybe it goes into an extended product or an extended data set, which then makes something else more valuable. But nonetheless, their incentives are A, they don't, they've got no reason to not share it, and B, they've got every reason in the world to make money. So you have to assume that they will use your data to make money because that's what they're there for. And it's the same problem that I have with people that say VPNs are the solution to privacy. They're not in any stretch of the imagination the solution to privacy. All you're doing is transferring trust from your internet service provider who, look, I look at internet service providers and I say, I know what their business model is. They want to sell connections. They want to make eight bucks a month on every connection and they want as minimal uh, support tickets and support calls as possible. They want everyone to pay their bills on time. Good. I know their business model. They've been around for as long as the internet's been around. We know what they do. I'm good with that. And by the way, in many countries, they're strictly regulated under the various telecommunications acts that prevailed and, and telecommunications bills and legislation that prevailed that covered, you know, old school telephone calls and faxes when the internet was just coming out. It was legislated for saying, look, internet service providers, they've got the same position in, in you know, society or in, in the world as these old telephone providers did. So let's regulate them the same way. So ISPs in many countries are regulated the same way. They do have rules around what they can do. But people that say, I don't trust my internet service provider for whatever reason, and they could have a million perfectly legitimate reasons for not trusting their ISP. But to then say the solution to that is instead of trusting all of my uh, what I call naked data flow, which is raw data, all of your traffic, DNS queries, everything that you're doing on every device on your network all of the time, instead of trusting that to my ISP, I'm now going to trust that to a private company by way of a VPN company, a private company who, I don't know who owns it, I don't know really where they're based, I don't know if they're regulated, um, but I do know that their incentives are to make as much money as possible. 
right? It just makes no sense. So I assess these things from the incentives framework. What is this company incentivized to do? Because that is almost always a perfectly accurate predictor over time of what that company will actually do. So anyhow, back to the, uh, uh, back to the article here. Uh, so the GDPR, so people filed under GDPR to get a copy of their data. Um, and, and as I was saying earlier, none of the mobile operators listed TeleSign as a recipient or knew, who, uh, or knew that user data was sent to TeleSign. At the same time, TeleSign confirmed that it had the phone number and communicated the trust score assigned to their number, such as medium-low. I mean, again, this is just Chinese social credit score type nonsense. That's what that is. It's no consent to any of this. Nobody knows that it's happening. But you know, what really concerns me here is not today's iteration of this implementation. What really concerns me is what happens if, you know, a year, two years, four years down the road, you go and apply for a job somewhere because, you know, you change your career or long-term unemployed, you want to get a job. Whatever. You go and apply for a job. HR says, fill in this form, give us your address, give us your contact details, give us your phone number. What if the software that they use to process your application has been sold to them as some type of, oh, we know who this person is and we can tell you all about them. And what if that software now somehow repackages and recommunicates and further proliferates this, what I'm just going to go ahead and call social credit score? What if that happens? Again, if we're going to use the incentives-based framework for assessing what the hell's likely to happen, that is very likely to happen. That's exactly what's likely to happen. There's no reason for these companies not to share the data. There's no penalties for sharing the data. There is every reason for them to collect it. We already know that they're selling it for profit. Now, I think that the business of stopping, you know, Russian troll farms making TikTok accounts, I think that's a worthy purpose. I've got no problem with that. But as you can see, I do have a problem with the further second order and third order effects. Where does this go in 12 months and 24 and 36 months? So, you know, if you're that guy and you've applied for a job and, and now your phone number is being used to snitch on you based on some type of reputation score that you didn't even know existed, and then you're getting either a decline letter from your job application or you're just not hearing back from anyone, I've got a problem with that. You don't know what's happening. You don't know how that decision's being made. Now, look, HR is always, you know, quite opaque. They're not, they're not telling you how they're making decisions and hiring decisions. Fine. Okay, good. But my point simply is that guy could be stuck in that loop literally forever and not know what he'd ever done wrong, nor would he have any method of correcting whatever offending he had done against the social credit score system. That's a load of bullshit. I do not like that. And the problem is today's set of incentives leads us directly there, unless there is a substantial shift in regulation. The article continues, AI to score people and data transfers to the US. On its website, TeleSign claims it is using artificial intelligence models to analyze the enormous amount of data received from BICS and to generate a trust score on each phone number. All of this happens in the United States where U.S. authorities can also access personal data from TeleSign. Again, this is another huge problem that exists in the United States today, and that is 
There are all sorts of laws and protections to say that the government cannot spy and collect data on U.S. citizens, and, or, or I think they're called U.S. persons under laws and under regulations. So if you're a U.S. person, the government, you, you, like, they can't be doing it. They can't be spying on you without a warrant. They've got to go to court. They've got to show that there's a very good reason for them to, you know, issue a wiretap or read your emails or read your messages or whatever. And if they do not convince the judge that there is a good reason, they don't get the permission to do that. But here's the wide open gaping hole in all of that, and that is if the U.S. authorities don't need to spy on you, if they can literally just call up their account representative at TallySign and say, hello, can you please give us everything you know about this person? And if they buy that data, there's no law that's been broken because they're not spying. So the government in the United States, and I'm sure in all of the major countries, certainly the Five Eyes countries, the government is probably the largest customer for all of these data brokers and data warehousing and all of these what I call privatized spying companies, privatized you know, consumer intelligence, however you want to describe it. The government's probably their biggest customer because why bother going through the process of getting a warrant? Why bother going through due process when you can just spend $8.50 of money that's not even yours per person's records that you want to pull? Of course you would do that. Again, the incentives-based assessment tells us that's going to happen. The article continues, processing unlawful, potentially huge fine. All right, now we're getting into the nice territory. While there are some situations where personal data can be used for security purposes without consent, the secret use of telecommunication data on the majority of all global, uh, global mobile phone users is not in line with EU and national data protection law. This is what I was saying earlier. God bless the EU. They've actually got rules. They've actually got penalties. And they've actually got courts that are willing to uh, uh, levy those penalties in situations like this. The article continues, besides being ordered to stop the transfer of data to TeleSign, the Belgian DPA, I suppose that's Digital Privacy Agency or something along those lines. Anyway, the Belgian DPA can issue a fine up to 236 million euros, which is 4% of the global turnover of the Proximus Group, the owner of Bix and TeleSign. And again, we've got a quote here attributed to Max Schrems. The responses received by Bix and Telesign suggest that this business model is not complying with EU privacy laws. We have therefore filed a complaint with the Belgian Data Protection Authority, who is competent for Proximus, Bix and Telesign. He's just saying that they are the competent authority. They have jurisdiction. So Belgian Data Protection Authority is competent for Proximus, Bix and Telesign. Right. Good. Um... And the article continues in one last section. It says, is your number processed by TeleSign? Easy to find out. Companies holding data about you have the obligation under GDPR to tell you whether they process information about you, but also where they received the data, for which purpose they use it, and with whom they shared it. If you want to know whether TeleSign has data on you and assigned you a score like the complaints, NOYB developed a template that you can use to send an access request to TeleSign. That's brilliant. I'm going to share that in the show notes. I encourage each and every one of you to send that off. But then follow that further up the chain. If you're bored, if you've got a bit of time, if you sat there one weekend, instead of watching Netflix or YouTube, follow that further up the chain. Find out uh, where TeleSign uh, it, you know, find out if TeleSign's got your data, if they've got your number, who they shared it with, but then contact those companies that they shared it with, with the same request and say, hello, this information that you got about me, it's mine, it's not yours. I want you to tell me who you got it from and who you shared it with. 
and follow that through. And in fact, if, if you do any of that, I'd be very keen to hear from you if you go through that process and start to build a bit of a web. Because my bet is, again, this is all very easy to assess. What are their incentives? Their incentives are to make as much money as possible. And listen, I'm going to go so far as to say that this business of you know the Belgian uh, data protection authority uh, finding up to 236 million euros, which is 4% of the global turnover, I'm going to go so far as to say that that is a vastly insufficient amount. I mean, I'm all for having you know, some sensibility around fines, but for this type of thing, this is the most egregious fisting that can be imagined because it is assigning a literal, again, my words, not theirs, but it's assigning a literal social credit score or a social uh, reputation score to people. Yes, it's only just being used for phone number verification now, but what about in a year's time? What about in three years' time? What about the example I gave earlier? Poor guy that is stuck in a savage, vicious, soul-destroying, life-destroying loop of applying for jobs and not getting them because a company that he's never heard of, never transacted with, would never have paid a cent to or never have even known about. They've assigned his reputation score as too low and his life is ruined. Nope. I don't like it. I'm not about it. And it is a it is a tremendous overreach and it is a disgusting way of them doing business. That's the episode for today. I'll catch you on the next one.